My name is Bethany and I live in Love Like Jesus by bringing people from my school to church with me. I am Tony Stevens and I live in Love Like Jesus through partnering with Young Life staff and volunteers on the continent of Africa to reach kids for Christ. In particular, we along with Crossroads have an emphasis on supporting the staff in the country of Mali, which is in West Africa. Hi, I'm Mario and I live in Love Like Jesus by striving to show everyone I come into contact with while working love and respect, no matter the circumstances. And that's only possible through the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Kathy, and I live in love like Jesus by mentoring youth, both at Glenwood and in a girls' middle school small group. I think it's really cool to be able to hear just a few examples of how you, our church, are living and loving like Jesus. And if you're new with us, whether you're here in the room or watching online, you need to know that we are a church that's been transformed by who Jesus is and what he's done. And so all of our efforts uh, to try and live and live in the life and way of Jesus really is, is overflowing out of what he's done for us. And this is really like the outset of something that I think is a long journey for us as a church, and I'm really excited to be able to see how that mission unfolds moving forward. I'm also super excited about what we're talking about today. This is, this is an important topic, and I think uh, it's kind of a journey that the Lord has had me on over the past couple years. And if you've been with us, you know that we're walking through the book of John. And uh, the first half of the book is, uh, covers 99% of Jesus' ministry. And then the second half of the book really slows down and zero is on, uh, zeroes in on that last 1%, the last week of Jesus' ministry. And uh, I think it's really important uh, because this is a time when I think the, the book starts to shift toward a very intentional moment. Phil talked last week about how in chapter uh, 14, it starts out by Jesus saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, i.e. don't freak out, but I'm about to leave. So if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, wait a second. You've been talking all along about how the kingdom of God is here and how you're going to be on the throne, which means Rome's going to get the boot. And we just came into Jerusalem and raised a ruckus. And now you're saying you're leaving? I think Jesus knew what this was going to make uh, his friends feel. And it actually makes for a pretty good story plot. I mean, you can think about uh, like the moment Gandalf in Lord of the Rings was killed. I had someone tell me that was like a spoiler alert. I mean, like, the books have been out for like 80 years, so it was a calculated risk, but that's on you if you didn't know that. Uh, you probably heard about Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia when he gives his life on the stone table, or hopefully we all can remember that moment when Obi-Wan Kenobi gives his life in a lightsaber battle with Darth Vader. And so it makes for a really, really good story plot, unless you're a character in that story. I mean, how many of us can relate when being at the bedside of a spouse or a friend or a loved one and their final moments? Maybe that's you. Maybe you know all too well what that moment of loneliness or hopelessness or disappointment feels like. It's because we have this deep-seated desire to have somebody with us. Nobody wants to be left behind alone or afraid. We, we need that, that sidekick, that teammate who's with us through thick and thin. And I think loneliness is kind of at the root of our fears as humans. And especially when you think about 2020, man, what a year to talk about fear and loneliness. I think Jesus knew what his disciples were feeling when he said, I'm going to be with you only a little while longer. He knew they'd be filled with grief and longing. 
So if this presents the problem that Jesus' disciples and many of us have experienced, then what's the solution? I think that's what Jesus is going to focus in on right here. It's important to remember that it's taken us a few weeks to move from Jesus washing his disciples' feet uh, to this moment that we're talking about now, but uh, it's important to remember that this is actually in the same room and at the same meal around the same table, probably just a couple of hours later. See, for the past three years, Jesus has been preaching the good news of the kingdom. That is that the long-awaited king of Israel uh, is now here, and the kingdom of God is in our midst He's been preaching and performing miracles and charging the disciples with the same mission to preach the good news and to partner with him in ushering in the kingdom of God. So upon this news about how he's about to leave, he says this thing that Phil talked about last week, how we're going to do greater things than him. That's like, what? What what could that possibly mean? And like Phil talked about, there's, there's not a whole lot of scholarly consensus around exactly what that means, but I think we can all agree that it doesn't mean lesser things. So somehow we're going to do greater things than Jesus. And I think if we ask the question, how is that possible? The answer follows in the text that we're looking at today. And that's John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. So I want to start with just the first couple of verses. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. And be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But I think we need to pause here for a moment. Because when Jesus says he's going to give uh, an advocate the Holy Spirit, imagine uh, in a room this size, or those of you watching online, like there's, there's a whole spectrum of images that flood our minds when I say the phrase, the Holy Spirit. For some of you, it's, it's a preacher in a really, really nice suit who can wave his arms and make the people in front of him fall flat on their backs. Uh, for others of you, Maybe it's, it's this idea that you've heard talked a lot about in church because you grew up in church, but it's kind of been diluted and doesn't really carry a whole lot of meaning at all. I think for most of us, it's probably something that sounds like it ought to be really important, but if we're being honest, it just raises more questions than answers. That's kind of the, the group that I would have put myself in. And today, we're really just going to scratch the surface on what this idea is, but I'm hoping that as we walk away from today, we're going to have better language to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, that we're going to have some practical tools to be able to better live out of the power of that spirit, and that we leave really excited and intrigued to be able to dive deeper as a church into what this means for us. I think it's important for us to start by defining the word that Jesus uses in describing the Holy Spirit. He uses the word advocate, or the, the Greek word here is parakletos, and it can be translated and has been translated a number of different ways. Uh, we have here advocate, or a comforter is a very common translation. My Bible uses the word counselor, and they all kind of give a little bit of a different picture. You can hear like an advocate and counselor, you hear some of the legal language coming out. And that's a lot of times how this word is used outside of scripture in ancient Greece, uh, ancient Roman culture. It really was it was, a, it was a courtroom setting where somebody would speak on your behalf. And the Bible uses it that way sometimes, but I think this context suggests something different. Uh, the word comforter uh, is, again, it's, it's appropriate in some settings, but it, it can tend to kind of weaken it sometimes, like somebody who's just going to lay your head on their shoulder and say, there, there, everything's going to be okay. And that's not a bad thing. It's not wrong. I think the Holy Spirit does that for us as well. But I think what this context suggests, that the best translation for this word is what the English Standard or the New American Standard Version uses, which is helper. The Holy Spirit as a helper. 
And we can tend to use this word helper uh, like when my kids help me with something. It's somebody who's like subordinate and less necessary to the task or whatever, but that's not what this is suggesting. And I think there's one detail that shines a good light on that, and it's the fact that Jesus doesn't say he's going to give us a helper, but he's going to give us another helper. He's drawing a connection between his relationship to his disciples and what this future relationship is going to look like. He's saying that just as he has helped them by caring for them, convicting them, guiding them, comforting them, providing for them, and teaching them, so will the Holy Spirit do for them as well. And remember, the context here is, is Jesus trying to reassure his disciples, telling them that he's about to leave, but it's okay because he's going to send them the Spirit. This is all really interesting, or at least it is to me, but it, it raises, I think, a few important questions that we need to talk about. The first one is, who is the Holy Spirit? a good place to start. I think part of the answer is actually in the question itself. Who is the Holy Spirit? Not what is the Holy Spirit? If you look at verse 17 in our passage, uh, it, it actually says, he is the Spirit, not it, because the Spirit's not an impersonal force. I think a good working definition for us as we look into what uh, the Spirit does in our lives uh, is, is this. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering personal presence. When God wants to be personally present, when God wants to empower his church, it's the Holy Spirit that does so. It's important also to keep in mind that this is not the first time that the Spirit has been talked about or referred to in the book of John. And actually, throughout the entire Bible, the Spirit is present through the entire thing because it starts really in verse 2 of the Bible. You see, God is creating the universe and hovering over the chaotic waters, you, you see the Spirit or you see the Spirit empowering Joseph to be able to interpret dreams or uh, filling Bezalel with creative energy to be able to design the beautiful artwork in the tabernacle. There's this really cool moment at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he's being baptized and he comes up out of the water and the Father says, this is my Son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And who is there but the Spirit appearing in a form like a dove. You see, the, the Holy Spirit is God as he is working in and through his people to fulfill the mission in the world. And Jesus was no stranger to this. You know, the Bible says that while he was fully God, he didn't ever actually have to use his godness. The language that the Bible uses is that uh, he didn't consider it something to be grasped or used to his advantage. You can imagine like Jesus had a God card in his back pocket, but he never actually had to play it. So how did he do all of the things that he did he was filled by, empowered by, and fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to the next question. Okay, we talked about who the Spirit is. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? And remember, we're just getting like that high-level perspective today because there's so much we could get into. But I think for our purposes here, let's start with that list we talked about earlier. The Holy Spirit cares for you, convicts you, guides you, comforts you, provides for you, and teaches you. Hopefully this sounds familiar, because these are a lot of the things that Jesus did for his disciples. Now, the Spirit is certainly distinct from Jesus. I'm not trying to paint the picture that they're the same person. They're not identical in function or purpose. But I think what this passage is trying to show us is that much of what Jesus did for his disciples is present in the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted us to take comfort in the fact that his departure meant that what he was providing for his disciples externally would soon be accessible to them internally. And that means us as well. I mean, don't miss the importance of what that means. 
You're starting to, to paint a little bit of the picture that Jesus is going to mention later on in a couple chapters where he says that it's actually better that he should go. I love how J.D. Greer puts it. He says that the spirit inside you is actually better than Jesus beside you. And it sounds wrong to even say that, but those are Jesus' words, not mine. Okay, so, so that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does, again, on a high level. Let's talk about how. How does the Holy Spirit work? And once again, this is a stack of books and a year's worth of teaching that could be talked about this, but just to kind of paint that high-level picture for us today, I want to use this kind of umbrella idea, and that is that the Holy Spirit speaks. God is a speaking God. We've talked about that plenty already today. The Holy Spirit speaks. I mean, did you know that prayer is actually meant to be a conversation, like a dialogue? It's not a monologue. We've all probably know that person that when you enter into a conversation with them, it's actually a whole lot of them talking and you can't get a word in edgewise and you're just stuck to sit there and listen. That's not what prayer was meant to be, but oftentimes that's what it's reduced to. And so if you wanted to even take this a step further, I love, like Romans paints the picture of of the Holy Spirit as this comforter who actually prays for you, prays on your behalf when you can't find the words. But if we want the Holy Spirit to care for and convict and provide for and teach and all of these things that we've been talking about, we have to be willing to listen to what he's saying. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later, but exactly how the Holy Spirit speaks is, is really a beautiful thing, and it's a pretty diverse spectrum, but I want to just highlight three, what I think are the primary ways that the Holy Spirit speaks. And the first one is through the Bible. The Holy Scriptures are the primary way that the Holy Spirit shapes and forms us into the likeness of our King, Jesus. And, and it's so important to get this right from the outset because the, the truth is we have to understand that God will never contradict his word. He will never contradict his word. So by, by soaking ourselves in the gospels or, or by reading the, the letters to the churches or the wisdom of the prophets, we're beginning to learn what the voice of the Lord actually sounds like. He'll never tell us to disobey our parents or to cheat on your spouse or to do anything dishonest or deceitful. Reading the Bible is, is just the best way to learn the word, uh, what the voice of the Lord sounds like. And, and we have to be saturated with the scriptures if we want to be able to test and recognize what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Okay, the third primary way, I'm sorry, the second primary way, we talked about the Bible. Second, I want to hit on uh, the idea of silence and solitude as a way that the Holy Spirit chooses to speak to us This means turning off the noise of the world around us and coming before the Lord. This is something that Jesus modeled in his life, and and this also is a teaching in and of itself, but um, I I just want to at least say, uh, Joel talked about this a little bit earlier in in our time of worship, that it's not often what we'd expect. It's soft. It's subtle. I once heard a preacher say that, that God shouts at his enemies, but he whispers to his friends. And I, so often I just want like, God, I just want you to like get my attention. I need, I need to hear your voice louder. And it's like, that's not what an intimate relationship is like. And that's what God wants with us is an intimate relationship. The voice of the Lord is, is kind. It's compassionate. And it will, it will often allow us to become aware of the sin in our lives, but in such a loving and gentle way. It's important to distinguish that voice from the voice that is condemning and shaming. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of the enemy. And again, to know what the Lord is speaking in those moments, we have to be saturated in the scriptures. Okay, so we talked about the Bible and and silence and solitude. The third way that I'll highlight is that the, the Holy Spirit loves to speak through other people. 
as if in to balance our time of silence and solitude, God loves to speak to his church through their community with one another. I'll give one quick example of, of how this has happened recently in my life. Uh, it's just a few weeks ago. I was just having a really rough week at work. I know most of you guys have experienced something like that. And, and I shared it with my wife, but I hadn't really shared it with anybody else in my family. And then my six-year-old, Easton, uh, decides that he's praying at the dinner table, and he normally prays very six-year-old prayers, things like uh, pray that we would have a good day or wouldn't have any bad dreams or uh, that everybody would be happy. Like, this is normally the kind of things that he's prayed, but then out of the blue, he prays this. Jesus, I pray that Daddy doesn't get hurt at work, that he would keep doing better and never give up. <laughs> he, he had no idea what I was going through, and he had no idea that he was actually the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking exactly what I needed to hear. This is just a small example of how this works, but this is what we're called to do as believers. We're called to bear one another's burdens, to admonish one another, to build one another up. As we seek the scriptures and seek the Lord as a church, we're supposed to use that to drive us deeper in relationship with him. This is why we have such a high value on groups here at Crossroads. If that's not something you're currently a part of, I think you're missing out on a vitally important part of the Christian walk, and that's, that's walking through life with other believers. There's an easy way that we would help you be able to get connected in that way. You can just text the word small groups, one word, uh, to the number on the screen, or if you're here with us in the room, there's going to be somebody at the table on your way out that, that can walk you through how to get connected to that group because this is so important. This is a vital part of our walk. So we talked about who the Spirit is, uh, what the Spirit does, and how He works. And I know that this is really just the tip of the iceberg, but hopefully it begins to paint a little better picture of this person that Jesus starts uh, sharing about with His disciples. And, and it's interesting so far in the book of John that we've heard Jesus talk a lot about His love for His people. And just recently we've heard, uh, uh, we've heard what John has to say about our love for one another. Uh, but D.A. Carson actually points out that this is the first time in the book of John where Jesus highlights our love for him. There's three different times in our passage where Jesus uh, brings to light our love for him, and, and all three times it's connected to the idea of obedience. Let's look at uh, John 14, chapter 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21 says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Jesus replied uh, in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now, Jesus seems to be suggesting that there's a direct correlation between our love for him and our obedience to him. Raise your hand if you've heard of the book, The Five Love Languages. Sweet. Yeah, a lot of people have heard of that book. It's a great book. It's really a helpful way uh, to be able to learn how your spouse or your loved ones receive love and affection best. And so I know that my wife's primary love languages are uh, quality time and words of affirmation. And so for, for me and, and our relationship, it's important that I prioritize those two things uh, when we're together. And she knows that my primary love language is food. It's actually the sixth one. It didn't make the cut in the book, but uh, still very important. She knows that if she has to like deliver some really hard news, that if she does it over a big plate of uh, Thai chicken and maybe some coconut rice and a piece of naan, uh, that it's going to go over a whole lot smoother, right? Well, I once heard a preacher say that God's love language is obedience. God's love language is obedience. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that that our love is somehow contingent on or, or proven by our obedience to him. 
I mean, it's not, it's not a, a healthy relationship if, if you have to prove your, your love by obeying your loved ones. But I think in a healthy relationship, we obey our loved ones out of the overflow of our love for them. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. You know, it actually goes on to say in verse 23 that if we love him and obey his commands, that God, that, that he and the Father will come and make their home in us. Like, this is a, a radical idea. And it, it kind of gets diluted maybe because we don't fully understand the weight of this, but, but everybody that Jesus is talking to knows that God lives in the temple, that, that only one person, the high priest, on one day a year, uh, Yom Kippur, that they can actually be in the presence of God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 we want to come and live in you. Like, that's such an important idea. I feel like we just got to let that sink in. So the question that I've been asking myself and that I would pose to you today is, are you becoming the kind of person in whom God can make his home? Are you becoming that kind of person? I think Jesus is saying that if we love him and so obey his commands, then the answer is yes. I mean, this should blow our minds. And when it comes to living out of the power of the Spirit, I think there's, there's two really important ideas that we need to be able to understand. The first is that we must learn to listen, and the second is to obey. Listen and obey. But, okay, let's start with listening, because in order to keep his commands, we have to be able to hear his command. Now, remember, God is a speaking God, and the Holy Spirit is the conduit for his words. Look at what it says in verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So, Crossroads, if you're rooting your heart in the scriptures and quieting your mind and heart before the Lord and living life in community with other believers, you will hear the voice of God. You'll hear the Holy Spirit's kind and gentle voice speaking the hope of the gospel, gently and lovingly convicting you of sin and and calling you to mission. Earlier this year, uh, we had a teaching night where we talked about uh, some ways to create space in our lives to be able to hear from God. And that, that's available at cccgo.com slash teaching night. If you didn't get a chance to be a part of that, you can go and check out the full teaching there. But I'll just give uh, a, a bit of a summary of three of the practical ways that we talked about uh, to be able to create space to hear the voice of God. The first one is to be able to create mental space. This is created by eliminating the digital noise and the culture surrounding us. It's the inability to sit in silence because we're so conditioned to pull out our phone or to have a podcast or Netflix playing in the background or your news media uh, going uh, in the background. It's, it's the voice in your head that's constantly playing to your fears and your insecurities that's fueled by this noise. We have to be able to create mental space if we want to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. The second way is by creating emotional space. And this can happen primarily through our schedules. Hearing from the Holy Spirit takes time. And to be honest, I reject the notion that anybody is too busy to spend time with the Lord. Because the fact is, if you're too busy to spend time with God, you're too busy. For the majority of us, if we cut out social media and Netflix and news media, we'd be, we'd be really surprised with how much time we're left with on our hands. I mean, can you imagine your, your spouse or your family member or a loved one saying to you, why don't we spend any time together anymore? It's been a week, or it's been a month, or it's been a year. And your response being, I just don't have enough time. 
when in the back of your mind, you know all of the things, the long list of things that you've been filling your time with. Because the fact is, we don't have, uh, we, we only have 24 hours in a day, so it's, it's less of an issue about how much time we have and more of an issue about what we choose to do with it. All right, so mental space, emotional space. The third way is financial space. Because maybe equal to our calendars, our bank accounts show what we value most. Jesus talked about money almost more than any other topic. And it's because he knows the human heart. He knows the inclination of our compulsion toward things like greed or status or leisure. He knows the hold that our finances have on our hearts. So to begin breaking this hold, we need to shift the way that we view our money and possessions. We need to use them not just for our own good, but for the good by serving and caring for others. Showing, uh, sharing what the Lord has blessed us with, because that's actually how the church was designed to work. You know, one easy way to do this is, is I believe an act of obedience is, is giving to your local church, your church home. And, and if Crossroads is your church home, uh, I think this is an important way to begin breaking that hold. We give an opportunity to do this every week. You can just text the word give to the number on the screen, or if you're worshiping with us here in the building, uh, you can give at the boxes on your way out. But this is just one easy, simple first step to be able to, get, to begin loosening our hold on our finances, or better yet, loosening its hold on us. Okay, so we have to create space to listen to the Holy Spirit, but once we hear from the Holy Spirit, it's important that we obey. I know some of you in the room are thinking, I just, I would love to be able to hear from the Holy Spirit, but I can't, I don't ever hear anything. I feel like the Holy Spirit is not speaking to me. But I think in reality, what's true for some of us is that the Holy Spirit is speaking, but he's just waiting for you to obey what he's already spoken. Because I think, I know there's, this has been true in my life, but how many of you know that you have a neighbor that you need to connect with? And you're on your way home from work or from the store or something, and, and you see that neighbor out, and you think, oh, I know I probably need to like, go and take the first step or invite him to dinner or something. But you just pull into the garage and shut the door. Or some of you, you have that coworker at work that you know is struggling, and you can feel that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to pray for them. But... You're afraid, and so you just turn and walk the other way. Guys, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, but oftentimes he's just waiting for you to obey what he's already spoken. Because remember, God's love language is obedience. And actually, in the first century uh, Jewish culture, the word for listen or hear implies obedience. It's like how we use the word listen when we say, like, hey, kids, listen to your mother. We don't mean just, like, hear the words that she's saying. We mean hear what she's saying and then go do it. The implication is that when God speaks, it's assumed that we will obey. I want to end by sharing uh, one final story about how this has played out in a very real way in my life. Um, it starts five years ago. I was in a rough place, personally. I was in a month-long season that felt a lot like what I think people describe depression as. Uh, I'd never really experienced anything like that. At the time, I was a worship leader back in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and before this season kind of set in, I had secured a spot at this really great worship leaders retreat that was led by an artist that I really respected and looked up to, and I was really excited to be able to go to the Rocky Mountains and have like delicious food, and, and it was going to be beautiful. It really should have been a dream come true, but I was miserable. From the moment I got there, I just couldn't wait to leave. I would find myself just sitting in the back of the room trying to take notes or like 
smile and engage with people and talk to them and get to know them, but it felt like I had like this veil over my head that, that would allow me to see out but wouldn't let anybody see in. And I would get back to my hotel room every night and I would just pray, God, why is this happening? Like, why, why can't I feel you with me? But you ever have those moments where you feel like your prayers just hit the ceiling and bounce back to you? That's what it was like. So we finally get to the last session of, of this time and I'm thinking, okay, it's been two and a half days. Like, I finally made it through. This is just like, let's wrap this up and get out of here. And, and this guy that was leading, uh, he, he was just giving some basic wrap-up information and uh, just kind of closing things out for us. And then, then he stopped for what felt like an eternity. And he looks to the back of the room, past the 40 or so people, and his eyes meet mine. He says, Jeremy. He says, he says, I couldn't stop thinking about you. Last night, I felt like the Holy Spirit put you on my heart. And all of a sudden, this veil that I felt like was covering me was ripped off, and I wasn't hidden. I was exposed. All eyes were on me. And he proceeded for minutes on end to share what he felt like the Holy Spirit was wanting to speak to me. And can I just tell you, it was exactly what I needed to hear then the gal who was leading next to him began to do the same thing. And before I knew it, everybody was praying for me. This was, this was a moment that the Lord had orchestrated. He wanted to speak to me. He was meeting me right where I needed him. But it took somebody with the discipline to stop, to listen, to obey. And guys, this is so important. We have to get this right. This is what's at stake if we miss it. Because this is how the church was designed to work. We're supposed to listen. We're supposed to obey. Now you might be thinking, that's all well and good, but I know that I can't obey the things that I'm hearing. Or maybe you've read enough of the Bible to know that like, those are all great in theory, but there's no way I can obey uh, what, what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount or what have you. And the truth is, you're right. You can't on your own, you'll never be able to obey what God is calling you to. But now, we're starting to get to the beauty of the gospel. Because on your own, you can't, but Jesus has. And if you count yourself alive in him, then the same spirit that empowered him lives in you. As Christians, we're not just called to do all the right things. We're called to rest in the grace of God and let that grace transform us from the inside out. If you've worshiped with us before, you know that every week we stop and we take communion. We do this to remember the gospel, that, that Jesus was on his throne and he came down and, and he lived a sinless life and he died on our behalf and was raised back to life. We stop and remember that each week by eating a piece of bread and drinking juice together. It's because of that truth that, that we allow him to take up residence and what was true of him becomes true of us and we're welcomed into the family of God. So we're gonna take some time now to do that together. So if you're here with us in the room, you got some communion when you walked in or if you're at home, hopefully you have that uh, pulled together. Go ahead and get it now if you don't. We're gonna take some time just to stop and remember and to worship Jesus for what he's done. And if this is all brand new to you, maybe, maybe you're wildly unfamiliar with any of these ideas, I think this is a really perfect and I would say important time for you.
Because while the believers in the room are remembering what Jesus has done for them, maybe this is a time for you to really wrestle with that truth for the first time. To really let it sink in that, that, yeah, God has seen every deep, dark corner of your heart, but he loves you. That knowing all of that, he came and died for you. Maybe you're not used to hearing that. Maybe you're used to hearing the voice of condemnation, the voice of shame. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the voice of the enemy. So as we go into these moments of quiet, we're going to pray one prayer together as a church. We're just going to unite around this simple, ancient prayer that has been prayed for centuries by Christians, and it is, come Holy Spirit. It's a prayer that we need to practice. We need to make this part of our everyday rhythm. Come Holy Spirit. We're going to invite the Spirit in to speak to us, to show us where we need to course correct and obey what, we, what he speaks to us. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit uh, to point us back to the hope of the gospel, to point us back to Jesus, because this is what the Holy Spirit does. So I'm going to just pray just to get us started. We're going to have a few moments of quiet for you. Let's pray. God, I'm just so grateful, so grateful for what you've done. And I'm grateful that it doesn't stop with, with us being welcomed into your family. Like when, when we walk into your family, we're handed a playbook and we're, we're told to get in the game. This is important, God. So God, we just acknowledge our need for you. And we pray together as a church, come Holy Spirit. Amen. We can talk a lot about uh, why it's so important uh, for us uh, to invite more of the Spirit into our lives and the lives of the church, but why is that? Why is that so important? It's important because Jesus is the hope of the world, but the church is the vehicle for that hope. It's the vehicle for his mission. That means you. That means me. We're not called to sit on the sidelines. We're called to get in the game. We're called to live and love like Jesus, but apart from the Holy Spirit, this is impossible. So we have to be united around a cry as a church, come Holy Spirit. God, we need more of you in our lives. We need more of the Spirit as a church. I love the words of Andrew Murray. He says, the one needful thing for the church and the thing which above all others men ought everywhere to seek for with one accord and with their whole heart it's to be filled with the Spirit of God. Over the past uh, few days, and really for a long time, I've just been praying, God, like, what is it that you want your church to hear? And it's, it's this thing that I've been feeling for a long time. I believe that God wants to pour out his Spirit on, yes, the global church, but on Crossroads Christian Church. That God wants to pour out his Spirit on his church but the question remains, will we be ready to receive it when he does? Will we be ready 
We must be united, crying out and contending for more of God, contending for more of the Spirit, because we want to see transformation happen, not just for those of us in the room, but for our community, for our city, and for our world. So our prayer has got to be, yes, I'm not enough, but God, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. We're going to have the chance to to sing that prayer together as we close. We're going to sing, I'm not enough unless you come. Would you meet me here again? Come, Holy Spirit. God, we need more of you. God, would you send out your spirit? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.